Hey listeners, this is Becca, and this is part two of a series that I've been doing on using your skills to be able to educate others. If you missed the first episode, it's such a contrast to this one, I would definitely recommend going back and listening to it. And I'm excited for you to enjoy this episode today. It is part two in a three-part series. The episode after this is 152, so please feel free to listen on through to the next one when you're done. Welcome to Business Talk Sister Gok. I'm Becca, and today's podcast episode is how to grow an education business. And with me today, I got the opportunity to travel all the way to Jordan, like the country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have Rama from Little Thinking Minds. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for featuring me. Yeah, I'm super excited about this conversation. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, yourself and what do you do? Great, sure. So my name is Rama Kayali, and I'm CEO and co-founder of an edtech company called Little Thinking Minds. We are based in the Middle East. Our office is in Jordan, and we have offices in Egypt, Cairo, and Dubai. And what we do is we create online educational platforms focused on literacy outcomes to close learning gaps in the Middle East. Children in the region, 70% of kids in the region, read below grade level, suffering from what is known as learning poverty. And we are here to close this gap and help in improving literacy outcomes. Wow. And I'm just going to say right now, your pitch is so well polished. <laughs> <laughs> See, I've been doing this for a while. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, yeah. How long has it been? And, and tell me why you started doing what you do. Sure. It's been a while, to be honest. Uh, We started this as an idea uh, 20 years ago when I had my firstborn son. Mm -hmm. And my co-founder and friend came to visit me with her son. She was living in London at the time. Okay. We both come from film backgrounds and film production backgrounds. And we were just talking about how frustrating it is that there was no engaging, uh, cool content in Arabic language. And Mm -hmm. all the nice, you know, video TV programs, productions, books, etc. Predominantly, the nice stuff was in English and the Arabic literacy lit- books, etc. were dated and not as flashy and colorful. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, th- we said, why not we take matters in our own hands and create video content for kids? So we started creating films. At the time, it was the big craze of the baby Einstein and little Einstein, if uh, you remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we saw mm-hmm. how, th- how the founder of baby Einstein did it on her own. So we said, you know, why not we do it ourselves? So we got our kids, their friends, we plopped them in the garden, we, we made some puppets with a puppeteer, we worked with a songwriter, wrote some nursery rhymes, and made, these, made a short movie about animals in Arabic. And we, uh, we, we decided to release it in a video, the- in, a, in a cinema, in a, in a movie theater in really? Jordan. Yeah. Okay. And we invited friends and family, thinking, you know, we'll have some support, and we you know, put out some flyers in preschools. And uh, when the day came, we were shocked that there were more than 300 people in line waiting to come watch this movie. Wow. So we realized that there was a pain, you know, there was, yeah. a, ga- there was mm-hmm. a gap we were filling. There was a need for Arabic content for kids. And moms really wanted something that helped their children improve their Arabic out, you know, speaking skills mm-hmm. and fluency skills. And that's how it started. It was a lifestyle business for around eight years. I had another job and she had another job and she moved countries, etc. 2012. Around that time, we decided to go for funding to fundraise and to take this business into a full-fledged digital solution where we create uh, different products, platforms for parents, teachers, and students to improve Arabic. Mm. Wow, what a journey in mm. that. That's, that's amazing. So I want to get into a little bit to 
um, the, the platform itself. And because you started with content production, but now it sounds like you have an entire um, platform housing the content. Yeah. Is it? Okay. Yeah. So why did you go that route and what did that look like to transition? Um, where were you showing it to, to begin with? I guess there's there's three questions in there. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> so in, initially when we started out our business, we were more of a B2C business, meaning we were targeting parents and consumers. Mm-hmm. But then in 2015, uh, you know, we, we were still... We, you know, we always knew we were solving a problem and parents loved what we do, but it, we did, we, but we felt we didn't have product market fit. And so in 2014, 15, around that time, we were looking at our kids and looking at what they learn in English, French, other languages, and math, science. And it was the beginning of digital platforms, online solutions for kids, mm-hmm. and there was nothing in Arabic. So that's when we thought, why don't we create platforms for schools? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we started creating platforms that had lots of content from books, video content, worksheets, assessments, etc., gamified and reward-based. We were always tech-enabled, but now we want now we are a technology company where our platforms are gamified, reward-based. Kids collect coins. We're working now on making our platforms personalized and adaptive to make sure that the learning is even better and the impact is, you know, is larger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so going in that process, I want to back up to something you said. You said that you decided to go after funding. What mm-hmm. did that look like and what did you need to prepare? So in 2011-12, when we started, when we decided we want to take this to the next level, there was a, a newly established incubator in Jordan called Oasis 500. It was one of the mm-hmm. first in the MENA region, in the Middle East, North African region. Uh, the beginning of entrepreneurship, let's say, in this pay, in in this part of the world, and we didn't know anything about business. You know, we are film producers. We we come from a completely different background, and so we were very worried. We're like, you know, what are they going to do? They're going to take half our company. We don't understand mm. anything about how to build a business. So there was, we were there for three months where we were incubated, and and we learned, you know, the the ropes on how to build financial projections, how to look at market, you know, do market research, uh, persona segmentation, uh, digital marketing product building you know everything so Mm -hmm. it was a really great crash course on entrepreneurship and how to take our business from a dvd business into Mm -hmm. a full-fledged digital uh, business and and then we were presented in front of angel investors and that's how we first uh, got our first round of funding from friends and family and angel investors who Mm -hmm. were excited about what we were doing which is really focusing on arabic language and Arabic identity. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, it, it. and since then it's been a journey. We have fundraised to date around $3 million. We started Friends and Family, and then we, in, uh, two years ago, we raised our Series A uh, from, from regional investors. We have investors from the Emirates, uh, from Egypt, and from Saudi Arabia, and from Jordan. And we grew our company, where now, today, we are a team of 60 okay. in four countries. Awesome. Um, and reaching half a million students. Yeah. Did you ever think you were going to do something this big? Uh, To be honest, our ambition is to go bigger. Okay. I mean, we are very impact driven. We really believe in the cause. Uh, We want all kids in the region to have access Mm -hmm. to amazing content, to improve their, uh, you know, reading outcomes and fluency outcomes. Because when you are a reader and when you read well, you become a lifelong learner. Mm -hmm. And when you master mother tongue and mother tongue instruction, you become uh, your mother tongue. I mean, you become, uh, you know, you master other subjects as well. And if you Mm -hmm. don't read by grade four, the chances of dropping out are very high. And there, there has been a huge disconnect between uh, children and their language because the, the, the you know, the biggest um, 
let's say I don't struggle or what's the word uh, the biggest issue is the spoken Arabic is different than the Arabic you learn at school mm. so everybody mm-hmm. speaks Arabic but they don't necessarily read or write Arabic well mm-hmm. and so there's been a disconnect mm-hmm. and it's causing a lot of other issues identity issues brain drain and so those who can afford they leave and those who can't end up dropping out of school and they stay here. Mm-hmm. And so there is a big problem when it comes to to mastering your language. Mm-hmm. And so we really believe in what we do and we want to reach more children and more kids. I mean, we you know, we have big dreams. We are very grateful that we have reached this far and we are hopeful and and planning on reaching more. Yeah. No, yeah. And and so as you have transitioned um I was reading one of your um research reports on what the success rates have been, especially for girls in mm-hmm. um, their their fluency, literacy, comprehension, what they're reading. And um, tell me why you decided to go after that kind of research. Was it, was it something that you needed to say, yes, this is going to be um, a product that will help in schools? Or was there more to the, the reasoning behind getting those kind of independent research studies done? <sighs> I mean, research is very important for the work we do because there's a lot of companies now out there who have digital solutions and Mm. e-learning digital solutions, but it doesn't mean they're all making a difference or making an impact. Mm -hmm. And so for us, it's important to validate what we do. It's important for us to really examine and reflect, you know, are we doing a good job or not? And if not, how can we improve what we're doing? And and also it helps us, of course, with fundraising and with, uh, you know, giving us validation when we want to talk to schools and governments as well. There's a famous quote that, says if you can't measure it you can't improve it you can't improve it so it's important to measure what matters and so for us research is a way to validate and to uh, put us back on the right track Mm -hmm. and I I know we didn't talk a ton about what the platform looks like or any of that but I I want to try to get into that just a little bit epic epic books oh yeah 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 epic yeah for the younger kids exactly it's a uh, yeah Mm -hmm. so it's a little bit it's a it's a cross between epic and learning a to z if you're familiar with learning a to z baskets yeah all right so that can help visualize it for some of my listeners of what it what it kind of looks like but I like the aspect of the the gamification where it's like you read a few books and then you get these stars and then you can purchase games which first of all like let's back up to acknowledge that you also now are creating video games like <laughs> yeah we, we, create, we create videos and short video games yeah yeah but yeah I think also what makes our um, platform unique is that we also source books from regional award-winning children's publishers okay so there are many amazing actually you know there are many amazing children's books mm-hmm. we need more of course there is there is a lack but mm-hmm. still we do have some great publishers great writers great illustrators but they're scattered and you you would have a great you know book publisher in Egypt and another wonderful one in Lebanon and then one in Saudi Arabia and one in Palestine but you don't you not you, kids don't necessarily have access to them mm-hmm. so what we did is we work with around 25 30 publishers from mm-hmm. the arab world and we put their books on our platform we digitize them add questions to them make sure they're aligned with the curriculum and the kids end up listening to the book they can record their voice they answer questions they collect stars etc but they have access to these books one of the mm-hmm. biggest problem before when we first started this company is that the children had no access to books the books were expensive if they were found there are not that many book children's bookshops anyway or 
public libraries. Mm -hmm. And also, as a mother, when you go to buy a book, you don't know if this book is at the right level for my kid. Mm -hmm. So what we did is we took these books, we used a certain leveling system, we we adopted a leveling system that was done by literacy experts, and we then you know, presented children, parents, and teachers with a leveled reading library. I just wanted to take a moment to pause here and acknowledge something about what Rama's doing that I think is amazing. They're no longer just creating educational content, but instead now, they're even curating other people's content and building on it by providing even more value to that person's content so that it is valuable to schools to utilize. And I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge that before getting back into the interview, because I do think people get stuck a lot of times on, well, I don't know what content to create. And sometimes that's not the answer. Just in this diversification aspect, the answer may be to add value to other people's content that's already out there and do it in a way that's marketable as a package together. And if you can leverage the right partners to work with in order to do that, there truly is a market for it. Okay, I digress. We're going to get back to the interview. Yeah, so the next question I actually had is based on what you were talking about just then with um, the aspect of building a system to be able to rate the literacy level and to adjust the platform by user Mm -hmm. to uh, what they need in order to master before they can move on. So how did you go about creating that evaluation template and um, being able to uh, organize it to what that specific user needed. At the moment, the way it works is a student, when they're, when they're first using the platform, they have sort of like an assessment. And based on the level they're in, they're placed in a specific level. They need to finish a certain number of books and then do another assessment to make sure they've achieved their outcomes, their learning level, to move to the next level. Um, the books are uh, grouped together based on how many words per page, based on the concepts we are presenting, and now we want to based on science of reading. But the plan now uh, with AI Mm -hmm. is that we want to um, provide personalized and adaptive platforms because personalization now uh, has been proven, um, uh, you know, when a platform is personalized and adaptive, so it adapts to your level and it's personalized based on your interest and based on your learning style, you will have a much stronger learning experience and the results and the impacts will be much stronger. So what we're hoping to do now, and we're going through a fundraising round again, is to upgrade our tech to be able to provide children with personalized and adaptive learning solutions. Yeah, so tell me about this. It sounds like you're just a content creation machine here. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I was talking with a few different people in your office, because I did some creeping, (laughs) (laughs) I was learning a lot about how um, this is the busy season because you need to get all of the content prepped for uh, the school year. So tell me about what that looks like and why you're always producing new stuff. We're always producing new stuff because, first of all, um, we want to provide children with a a lot of options and a lot of varieties because there are different interests and there are different reading levels and there are different reading styles. So we want to have enough videos, enough books, enough games, enough interactive assessments and worksheets, etc. So we want to make sure kids have a plethora of options and not to be limited to 50 books per level. Uh, Also, we align our uh, reading platform with with the curricula of the region, so what different governments are presenting to their students. So there are different themes. Mm. So we want to make sure that we're also updated with with what they're presenting. Mm -hmm. We also follow SDGs. So we focus on climate, we focus on gender equality, we focus on, you know... um, 
equality, you know, different SDGs out there. So we want to make sure also that we have enough content that cater, that, you know, that address the SDGs. Got it. You're showing me a little, a little sustainable development goals with uh, poverty, hunger. Yeah, no poverty. No poverty, right. Sorry. So these are, these are very the, small word yeah. on this page. <laughs> these are yeah. the, the UN Sustainable Development Goals that they're hoping to achieve by 2030. And so, what, you know, it's very important that kids are, are being exposed to, to what are the Sustainable Development Goals, to raise awareness, to make sure they are part of you know, the, the decision-making process, I guess, when they grow older and, and they know more about it. Yeah, and so when you say the UN, are you talking about the United Nations yes. and that's their objective? Exactly. Yes, okay. exactly. Yeah, and, and that was actually a question I had. Um, I saw that you had partnered in, in some way with UNICEF, and, and I don't think a lot of people that, that I talked to have done that before. So tell me a little bit about how you got connected with them and what kind of projects they look for to partner with, and what does actually a partnership mean? So for our work with UNICEF, um, they were looking for a literacy product, a digital literacy solution that helped improve literacy, but as well uh, addressed um, different themes, including social cohesion, tolerance, uh, and various social-emotional um learning skills mm -hmm. um, they wanted to implement this among refugee students that attend Ministry of Education schools as well as low-income communities of Jordanian students okay. and the reason why they wanted to address these themes in, themes in specific was because there was a lot of issues happening between the host community so the Jordanian students and the refugee communities. Mm. Um, there was a bit of intolerance. There was a bit of bullying. And, you know, there was a, a bit of rejection that, you know, the, the schools, the classrooms became overcrowded. Education suffered. So the UNICEF wanted to bring in awareness on this through stories and books and through a teacher guide and teacher training. Okay. So what we did is we uh, um, adapted our application and developed books along with the Ministry of Education that addressed these themes that were very close to the reality of these children. So they reflected their, you know, homes, their lives, etc. Mm -hmm. And we added these books to the platform and implemented this in 100 schools, 15,000 students in Jordan uh, that, uh, you know, included Syrian and Jordanian students. And so, and then, and, and, the, and we did an impact evaluation at the end to measure social emotional learning improvement and, and awareness on social cohesion and tolerance, et cetera. And there was around 25 to 30% improvement, which showed that there was much more awareness and there was actual behavior change in the classroom. Really? And mm -hmm. as, as a result, because of the success, the government now wants to scale this. It hasn't been scaled yet due to different budgeting issues, mm -hmm. but the intention is that once you know this, there, there is the budget in place, this will be scaled to all Jordanian schools mm -hmm. in, in the country. Yeah, so why did you start a business in Jordan? Um, I live in Jordan, so you know I started the business in Jordan. I was already married and had children, so I couldn't you know up and leave. Um, <laughs> a lot of entrepreneurs in our region actually uh, prefer to start businesses in the in Dubai or in Saudi Arabia because it's their larger markets. There's more funding, especially in education. Um, the UAE has the largest uh, international school per schools per capita. Mm -hmm. But Jordan also has many advantages. It has very good talent. And um, in general, so tech talent, uh, prod, you know, just talent in general, but tech specifically. So, you know, it was circumstance. I ended up starting the business here. It's home. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel very lucky that, you know, we started the business here because also we have a great team. 
We've managed to get a, you know investment from Jordan, which is not a very easy country to invest from, but we've gotten mm. decent investment from Jordan. We've been able to do run different business experiments in different schools because it's a small country, so we can access different uh, mm. entities and, and run these different e- opportunities. Yeah. Exactly, and mm-hmm. we've been able to scale. My partner, my co-founder, lives in Dubai, so mm-hmm. naturally we also have a have a. That's our first office that was outside of Jordan, okay. and that's where we grew the most, and that's our main, uh, you know, market at the moment. Okay. And then we decided to uh, expand, and we moved to Saudi Arabia. So now we have another office there, because there are also a lot of number of schools, and they are uh, privatizing a lot of their schools. And we're also in Egypt, which is the largest uh, Arab country in terms of number of uh, students. Okay, so you. It sounds like you moved uh, into markets based on population size yes. of who uh, your potential and, users and market be. opportunity. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about that experience trying to set up a division of your company there. Um, how did that go? Yeah. <laughs> and what did you learn? Uh, hmm. To be honest, uh, starting a division like you know having branches is is a challenge. I think the biggest challenge is transferring company culture. So when you have 30 or 40 people in Jordan and you have five people in Cairo or in Dubai, they don't always feel they're part of the company. Mm -hmm. So it's how do you transfer company culture? How do you make a team um, that is sold on your idea? They joined us because they're sold on what we do. So a lot of people join our company for two reasons. A, they they love what we do. They believe in the cause. And two, because they, you know, the employment, we have, you know, know, they have different perks, but also because they need a job. But but how do you you know bring in loyalty from teams that are remote that sometimes you know they're not here in the day to day operations mm-hmm. so that's very challenging and we do a lot of work to make sure that the team feels one you know they feel appreciated they feel seen and they feel they're part of the bigger the, you know the, the mother company let's say mm-hmm. we do a lot of coffee mornings on Zoom. A lot of appreciation, like certificates of appreciation. We have um, all team meetings. And we try to always think creatively, how can we always make sure that we are one company, cohesive company, and not working in silos? So this was a big challenge. The other challenge is in terms of registration. I mean, it's really, you know, in the U.S., you want to open, I'm not sure exactly, but I would assume, Mm -hmm. if you're a company based in Minnesota and you want to open a branch, you don't need even to open a branch because you're an American company. But here in the Arab world, we are a Jordanian company, but then if I want to operate in Egypt, I need to be an Egyptian company. Mm-hmm. And then if I want to operate in Saudi Arabia, I need to be a Saudi Arabian company, etc. You need a, a local bank account. You need to do the licenses. You need to get the special permissions. So it's actually very costly, mm-hmm. very time-consuming, and very frustrating, <laughs> and which makes scaling much slower. Yeah, well, and you have to budget for all of those expenses exactly. because it's a lot of overhead administration costs. Yeah. And how do you know when you're at the point where you think you're ready to take on those kind of costs? We kind of have like a formula. So if we reach, let's say, 50 schools remotely, so if we service a market, so for example, now we're entering the Iraqi market, okay. and we have around 40 schools in Iraq. Got it. Once we reach 50... And we, you know, we do a proper market research. We say, okay, now it's time to have a team on the ground. Mm, so it depends mm-hmm. on each market, but this is how we come up with that. Okay. No, that's really good to know that you have a metric. Mm. I mean, obviously, if you're going to scale, you want to do it wisely. Yeah. So awesome. So tell me a little bit about, from all of the experience that you have now, if you were just starting out again and say, like, uh, just speaking to entrepreneurs in other areas of the world that maybe don't have this kind of infrastructure in their country, mm-hmm. um, what advice would you give them? 
I would always start by saying, make sure you are solving, you understand the problem that you're here to solve. Because at the end of the day, what do we do as entrepreneurs? Why are we here? We're here to solve problems. There's a pain and that we're, we're trying to find a solution to this pain. So make sure you understand the pain. So for us, the pain was Arabic language learning. You know, who are we solving the problem for? The students, the teachers, the parents? You know, we needed to really understand and get close to the client. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we missed, the, we missed that. So, you know, we have to always make sure to remind ourselves, go back, talk to the different personas that you're actually trying to help. Mm -hmm. The other advice would be... Um, I would say definitely, everybody says have a co-founder. Yes, having a co-founder or co-founders to share the burden is very important. Make sure your co-founders supplement or complement what you do. Mm. So you, you shouldn't all have the same skill set because then what's the point? You should have completely different skill sets. So one could be amazing in tech, one could be amazing in finance, one could be amazing in business development. You need to, you know, you need to cover each other's blind spots. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the third advice would be, I mean, this is like cliche, but, you know, <laughs> fail, you know, we all fail. We all make mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, learn from the failure. Uh, it's not the end. You know, I think being an entrepreneur takes a lot of tenacity. It takes a lot of stubbornness. Um, but also be careful to be stubborn, but also smart in your stubbornness. So sometimes like, you're going to get many no's in this journey and you're going to mm -hmm. get many doors shut in your face mm -hmm. on this road. So, you know, you need to be tenacious, you need to be strong. And know if you really believe in what you're doing, if you really believe you're solving a pain, you will find a way. A door will close down, but a window will open. Mm -hmm. So just keep at it. Keep your eye, you know, on your North Star and don't let the noises in your head, you know, stop you from doing what you're passionate about. And know that even if you fail, it doesn't mean it's a beginning. It's just another fork in the road. And you can find a solution if you're creative and resourceful, resourceful enough and have the right team around you. Yeah, absolutely. And that was actually, um, I always try to end with this question. Uh, what, what resources would you recommend uh, someone check out and, and learn from to, to developing educational content? I think we had an advantage with the content because we come from content backgrounds, because we're creators by nature. We are film producers. So we, we, we you know, co content is in our blood. Mm -hmm. But that's not always a good thing because investors want you to be tech. You know, and now with generative AI, they're like, okay, content can be generated easily through AI. So, you know, what's, you, need, you need to bring something else to the table. So that's why we don't see ourselves anymore as a content company. We are a technology company. We are, mm -hmm. That's why we are going into machine learning and adaptive learning because we want to be an ed tech company and not mm -hmm. so much an education company. And the reason why we focus on technology is because it, it, it transcends borders and we want to reach children all over the Arab world. Mm -hmm. So the easiest and fastest and cheapest way to do that is through tech. And mm -hmm. of course, COVID helped us speed this up. Because, right, absolutely. Yeah, because mm -hmm. of the adoption and the hybrid learning and schools now becoming better equipped. But I think I think one of the biggest advices is how to become not only like education company, but like an entrepreneur is to tap into mentors. And I'm not sure how it works in the US, but in the Middle East, we have we are very lucky that there are many organizations that you can become part of. Mm -hmm. There are many opportunities now springing up. I mean, there's not as much access to capital and the markets are, it's slower in terms of growth, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of access to mentors and there's a lot of access to different entrepreneurs who you can learn from and who you can, who can you know, pro provide advisory services. Mm -hmm. And I would say milk that. Yeah, well, and I think having a teachable spirit helps in being able to be mentored as well, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you believe what goes around comes around, it's great. So you teach, you learn, you learn, you teach. It's, it's, it's that, uh, you know, 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, tell me how people can find you. So our main website, our mother company is littlethinkingminds.com. So www.littlethinkingminds with an S.com. And our flagship product is www.ireadarabic.com. These are our, like our biggest, uh, two biggest pr- uh, websites. Mm-hmm. We have a third one, I Start Arabic, which is for non-native speakers. Okay. And you can find us on the web or on the Apple uh, App Store or Google Store. Oh, awesome. And you can download the apps there. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, now we're going to transition to the gawk portion sure. of this episode. Mm-hmm. So this is a story I'm going to tell you um, because we got a rental car while we're here. And I, um, so this rental car is very interesting, first of all. <laughs> I'm learning a lot about Arab drivers, mm-hmm. by the way. <laughs> I keep being, sorry about that. No, 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 no. I keep being told, well, you haven't been to Egypt yet, so you just wait. Or, or Lebanon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, our rental car, like whenever you accelerate, there's only like two levels for this car. It's like you either going slow or when you press the gas pedal to go fast, it suddenly revs the engine like crazy. Even though it doesn't like move very fast, it's a very slow car to mm-hmm. speed up. Um, it sounds like you are racing people, which... <laughs> is a little bit awkward mm-hmm. <laughs> in traffic uh-huh. and um my my husband who has been a great driver this whole trip he's driving yeah oh god okay. <laughs> and he keeps being encouraged by our friend you need to use the horn a uh, little more I just use the, the beep beep <laughs> <laughs> it's been so great um he when we were coming back from the dead sea uh, we actually were trying to merge in traffic and different things, and the car sounds like we're trying to race people. Well, mm-hmm. what at night, what we notice is a lot more people think you are racing them, and they just will take you on and speed past you. Oh, my God. <laughs> and we're, like, laughing so hard. Like, we know you're going to beat us every time because this car has no power. <laughs> yeah, but that must have been really scary also. Well, it was more funny than scary okay, at the time. Okay, good. <laughs> no, but it was just more like, okay, apparently this is a very like, okay, if you're going to challenge me, I'm going to totally take you up on it. Yeah, and yeah. that's a very uh, a different culture from where I live. <laughs> yeah, driving here is scary. So I'm glad it didn't scare you off. And I, you know, hats off to your husband for taking, you know, to, for driving in Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't think it was that bad. Everyone, everyone here I love, this is like so cultural and I love it, is that they use their hands mm-hmm. when it's okay you come and then they wave <laughs> inside the car like you're going next and then they'll put their arm outside the car when they want to really turn like if they're just nobody uses a blinker so <laughs> <laughs> so but honestly i think the police officers the road traffic control are really brave because yeah. they just stand out the middle of it and they <laughs> wave people and also i'm amazed nobody hits them like yeah. yet <laughs> Yeah, okay. You know, no. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you for joining me today. I have really appreciated your time. Thank you for having me and yeah, hosting me. Absolutely. And if you have enjoyed this episode, you should give it a review on Spotify. And I will see you next time.